BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, this is Josh Marshall, and this is the Josh Marshall Podcast. Well, we are we are here uh, for our weekly podcast, and uh, we have a special guest who we will uh, introduce in a moment because our one of our co-hosts, David Tainter, is uh, is on vacation this week. But we've got a lot to talk about. Uh, we have we've got this Jerry Falwell story and Becky Falwell. I, you got to say she's a major part of the story in more ways than one. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the election. Uh, we are. We, we just spent. We we just. What, what's the third thing we're talking about, Kate? We just we just came up with three things, and already I'm forgetting. What's the, what's Trump's the third big really, topic? Really, really excellent right. week in the military relations category. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and 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 uh, he he he's like going full uh, kind of DSA at one point, <laughs> talking about the military industrial complex and all yep. this kind of. All all this kind of stuff. So we, so we got a lot to talk about, and uh, we're going to dig into the election because you know uh, that after Labor Day, Labor Day is the traditional kickoff of the you know the sort of the general election in earnest, and that's a bit thrown off this cycle because you know normally the conventions are these big week long extravaganzas. You didn't quite have normal conventions, so all the you know COVID has has thrown the timing off on everything. But we're going to get into all that. Uh, before we do, let me remind you that uh, Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee is the sponsor of the Josh Marshall Podcast. The most important election in our nation's history is right around the corner, and we need to be alert, energized, and fueled to get out the vote. To help keep you caffeinated for the fight of our lifetime, Grady's Cold Brew is offering 25% off site-wide from now until Election Day. All fans of the Josh Marshall Podcast and Grady's Cold Brew are eligible for the deal with no limits. Now, so normally, you know, kind of in the whole uh, history of, of our sponsorship, you get 20% off your first order. But this is like, you know, you can order, you know, you can do 50 orders between now and Election Day and get 25% off uh, every single one. So no limits. So order now and get Grady's famous New Orleans-style coffee delivered straight to your door or send a batch to your local campaign headquarters. Grady's can be poured hot or cold and is available in regular and decaf. Ready to give it a swirl? Get 25% off at Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. And remember, you can also get it at your local grocery stores or at Amazon.com. So, Kate, what, 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 are we, what are we doing? And who do we have uh, joining us? We are lucky enough to be joined by Nicole LaFond. Um, I, you have a really long title, so it's uh, it's got a lot of words in it. You're what, special project special editor? Special projects editor, yes. Mm, killed it. All uh, the special projects. And most importantly, my best friend. <laughs> so we have her joining us today. And a, and a, and a long history with TPM. Mm-hmm. Over over time, not just not just as a as a news ride, but you you were you interned at TPM, I and did. then we tried to get you to stay. 
but you you jilted us and went back to a local paper in Illinois. I did. But yeah. eventually you came back and 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 you uh, came back and became rejoined as part of the team. Yeah. It's great to yeah. be back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And All right. There could be no better time to have Nicole on with her uh, background of going to an evangelical college and having an evangelical pastor for a dad. Um, as now, when we examine, you know, the pretty spectacular fall from grace for Jerry Falwell Jr. until recently, president of Liberty University who's been embroiled in a pretty salacious, slowly unraveling scandal uh, that really intensified these past few months um, and has now seen him dethroned, his former business partner and ex-pool boy kind of making headlines about the triangular love relationship the Falwell couples had with him. Um, and now Michael Cohen kind of getting into the mix with his new book uh, where he's you know, teasing that there is some linkage between his Cohen suppression of some inappropriate pictures of Becky Falwell, Jerry Falwell's wife, and uh, Jerry Falwell's early and unexpected um, endorsement of Trump in the 2016 primaries, which really shook up the race. So, I mean, Nicole, as our kind of our liaison with the evangelical community. What do you make of all this? <laughs> well, it's a fascinating story. And I uh, spent a lot of time when I was in grad school actually covering the connection between the evangelical base and Trump and the evolution of that relationship. And the story is just the way it's been, you know, slowly drip, 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 coming, you know, different developments. Uh, you know, at least once a week at this point. Um, I think it's been interesting to see how the evangelical community is reacting to it, but um, I also, I don't know how much sway. I mean, the, the endorsement um, came at like a pretty crucial time. It was around the time that uh, I, I thought at one point there, he had plans to endorse Cruz, right? I think that's the mm -hmm. case. Well, he told Cruz that he wasn't going to endorse anyone, but Cruz like launched his campaign from right. Liberty University, yeah. so kind of had the tie and I, and I think that the, at least our understanding is that the Cruz campaign thought they would eventually get the endorsement. Um, and you know, when exactly, obviously if you do better rather than worse, it can come sooner, but that no one else would get it as Kate said, and that he would eventually get it. And so it was a major disappointment. Um, you know, in some ways maybe it hurt Cruz more than it helped Trump, but sort of same difference mm -hmm. in a, in a way. It really depends on the sect of evangelical uh, you're speaking with, I think, uh, the conventional knowledge within the Nazarene community that my dad um, is a pastor in is that the endorsement really didn't have that much sway um, because most people um, understand that Jerry Falwell was, was not his father. You know, like he wasn't a pastor, um, he didn't have the same credentials that his father had, but it's also just a very, um, I don't know, the timing just makes it a little, little fishy. Mm -hmm. Isn't there, a, one of the things that I've always been struck by is that I guess, and I, I, you, I'm sure you know this, Nicole, that Falwell's brother, the other son of Jerry Falwell Sr., is the pastor 
of the church, uh, I think Liberty Baptist Church, what, you know, the church that it kind of all started with, um, and, and the university is just an outgrowth of that. So one of the sons sort of inherited, um, you know, literally and figuratively the pastorship part of it. And uh, Falwell, Jerry Falwell Jr., was always a business guy. I think he was like the CFO of Liberty when his dad was alive. And it's never like he has pretended to be a pastor. That has always been clear. He's a business guy. He's not a pastor. And and this this gets into a question I want to I want to get your read on. I always try to be clear when I write about this topic, and I write about it a lot, and I often write about it in a edgy, jocular way that there's political evangelicalism, a political movement in the United States, which is which is uh, uh, tightly bound up with the Republican Party today. And then there is evangelical Christianity, which, depending on how you want to, you know, different, different groups will date it differently, but uh, goes back about five centuries. Um, long predates the Republican Party and long predates uh, uh, Donald Trump. And certainly to uh, evangelicals, doesn't go back five, five centuries, goes back 20 centuries. So I mean, I'm curious about what you were just saying with your father, saying that, you know, kind of people know that Junior is not his dad and it didn't, you know, wasn't the same thing. Yeah, I mean, going dating back to like the 60s, it's been kind of, um, there's been this like concerted effort within the Republican Party to kind of, to tie evangelical Christians to the Republican Party, and that's, you know, for their two main pillar social causes, which being, you know, pro-life and um, uh, same-sex marriage were the two at the time that were kind of the um, driving force behind the movement to, like, marry the two parties. I, I think there's, uh, there's evangelical Christian voters who may... Um, I don't want to say think for themselves, that sounds pandering, but I, I just mean there there is a sect of evangelical Christianity that has moved a bit further left in the past you know decade or so. Um, I think I did a couple pieces on it. I, it was around the time when the Christianity Today um, editorial team endorsed uh, impeachment, and there was a lot of speculation in the media about like is this some new civil war within the evangelical community but it's something that's been building for quite some time and Trump definitely played a role in broadening that divide there but um, yeah I mean there's a difference between evangelical political politics and just being an evangelical in general and I think that um, it really depends on your theology I guess <laughs> don't know how much I want to get into like the theology that separates different aspects of the evangelical community, but um... well, just briefly, place um, setting aside Trump and Jerry Falwell Jr. Uh, the Falwell Liberty University, where in 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 sectarian terms, where do they come from, and what are kind of the other, you know, give us a, a broad, just a kind of a broad look at different uh, sectarian. Uh, 
divisions within divisions kind of a loaded word but you know different groups within yeah sort of broadly speaking evangelical christianity in the united states yeah i mean you have like the um southern baptists which are vastly different than just baptists in general the southern baptist convention is like a pretty um very very historically very conservative and um even I think it took up until like a couple, maybe 10 years ago that the Southern Baptist Convention like denounced segregation. They used to have um, segregated churches in the South. Um, and you have Baptists, um, sometimes even like Pentecostals will fall into the evangelical group, which Pentecostals I am not as familiar with other than the tongue speaking. Um, <laughs> Then there's Nazarene, which also, that's my background, that tends to be like very, pretty conservative, but um, very uh, liberal on some issues. Like women can be, have always been able to be in leadership in the Nazarene church. Um, but then again, like they don't smoke, they don't drink, they don't dance. Like dancing was a big thing for a while for that, for that, for that. I think it's evolved a little bit, um, but yeah, I think it just, you know, there's there's various degrees. I would say Nazarenes are, like, vaguely more liberal than Southern Baptists. Um, but there there is a clear marriage to a specific party, and I don't think that that's changed much up until Trump, or at least, you know, ten the past 10 years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, uh... <laughs> One of the things, Kate, you you said before when 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 you were introducing this is, you know, that it has been this kind of slow rolling scandal, and this is one of the kind of the fascinating things about it to me, that I think the first article, which I think was in Politico, I think the first one was in Politico. Then there's this guy Aram Rostin. I think I, I'm remembering that right. Who's been who's been on this for two years, and he, and and like you know nine tenths of the advances has been um, from him. But I think the first one was by this the freelancer writing in Politico, and so for two years we have known that the Falwells as a couple had this very close relationship to this young guy, you know, kind of young, good looking guy who was like 20 years old and vacationed with him and gave him a lot of money. And so, you know, we've known that, that, uh, you know, the Falwells probably do more than dance, right? We've known this for a while. This has been kind of out there and we didn't kind of know, no, but, but we've known and yet it kind of didn't blow up right and and you know he's kept leading this university where i think um i i think even uh uh kissing someone you know it's not just you know no premarital sex it's it's like you know no drinking no no nothing i think it's the same as what i went to all of that nazarene university and it's the same it's pretty much the same concept there's you know, like we had curfews, you can't drink, you can't have sex, you can't, uh, there are certain hours of the day where like men could come into the women's dorms. You couldn't live off campus. But presumably not like in the door, in the rooms with the door shut ever. Oh, door open, feet on the floor. Like, (laughs) 
<laughs> right, 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 right. So, and so this has kind of been, so this has been this, it's kind of been an open secret for a couple years and yet it, it, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like, you know, it's kind of like a, like a slow burn that, that just took years to catch fire. Um, and, uh, that is just one of the, one of the kind of the crazy, uh, crazy things about it. And we also have it's So you have this one, you know, this, this one guy, um, and, but there is also this trainer, athletic trainer, who was another Liberty university student yeah, who, yeah. who, again, they, he was the trainer for both of them. It, 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 there were a number of stories about him. basically the same kind of same basic kind of setup that they seem to have had. Again, they sort of hosed him down with lots of money from Liberty University to set up his own business. Uh, and then there's yet another story Politico came out with uh, of um, uh, Becky Falwell pursuing this other undergraduate. You know, so so this is it's kind of like, you know, been this open secret um, for a while. But it 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 we have this kind of slow burn. It's kind of out there that there's that. Uh, you know, l- let's be clear. The, the Falwells seem to basically be swingers, right? I mean, and and somehow or another, they have managed to to uh, live this life more kind of semi openly, even uh, while they're running this uh, you know kind of evangelical um, empire. And as we were saying, there seems to be, you know, we know of at least three of these relationships with young, you know. Uh, young guys, um, some of whom are Liberty University students and may even that, that, uh, brings up another level of legal issues. You know, the, the, um, the, the, uh, an officer of the university can't hit on students, right? I mean, that's (laughs) right. Yeah. One would think this is obvious, but there's, but there's like title not, you know, there's like it, not just inappropriate there there are serious legal issues um uh tied to this and it's all kind of out now and it's salacious and for for everyone who has been you know uh beat up by the Falwells over being you know gay or trans or you know all of anything that falls outside of the uh you know kind of sexual and gender traditionalism that that they espouse there's a lot of schadenfreude seeing their fall but where it gets more i think consequential is that pretty clearly trump and michael cohen blackmailed them into this endorsement and as kate was saying the uh the cohen at least is being a little coy you know kind of just returning the favor um, and sort of suggests that he didn't have to say like, Hey, I still have the pictures, you know, I still know about the threesome. Uh, so you better endorse Trump. Like, Hey, I guess he didn't have to say that, which frankly is highly plausible to me. I don't think Jerry forgot. Right. right. Um, so, so, but, but that's where it becomes more than just kind of like a sex story and, right. and, and, uh, you know, kind of titillating and everybody, um, being aghast that, uh, you know, that's a big extortion is wrong, mm-hmm. right? right? You know, threesomes I, may not be wrong. Everybody can do their own thing, but extortion is wrong. Extortion is definitely wrong. And that's where it becomes a, uh, that's where it becomes a pretty big deal. But so Nicole, you're, you're from your perspective, um, in, in the, the, 
you know, your family and your background sort of uh, a place in that world, maybe the endorsement wasn't wasn't uh, that big a deal. But it does seem to and and I guess there's this argument, which I which I agree with, that um, there was uh, clearly Jerry Falwell did not create the alliance between Donald Trump and political evangelical Christianity in this country. There's a lot of ideological um, uh, commonalities and mutual commitments and stuff like that. But my sense is at least that Falwell's endorsement did allow some permissioning that in, in late 2015 and early 2016, there's maybe a lot of people who were kind of part of politically part of that movement that were liking a lot of things Donald Trump was saying, but sort of like, ah, oh, Donald Trump, right? Can't really. And, and he, you know, broke the ice as it as it as it were and i think i definitely think that i personally think it played a a significant role um i think you know just really depends on who you talk to and whether they were already planning to support trump or not i think the the moral issue is maybe um like you're saying so many um evangelical voters who did vote for trump did have problems with his various moral issues um but at the end of the day he's championing these causes that that they've always cared about and that they play a significant role in um the church and like the life that they want this you know they want to live in the country and um i think uh if anything it the way the reason that the seeing that the Falwells were able to stay in leadership for as long as they did, even though there was this like drip of stories coming out, kind of speaks to the um, the ways in which the evangelical voters are willing to kind of let things slide in order to pursue these two specific um, political issues that they care about. And um, yeah, I, I think it's just fascinating. I mean, I... I don't think it's uh, true of everyone, but, and I'm not trying to paint broad strokes here if we have any evangelical listeners, um, but it's just something I've noticed in my lifetime, and it's uh, it's fascinating. It's definitely fascinating. Well, there, there's, also, there's also this sort of tradition in, in evangelical or political evangelical Christianity in the last few decades, and and in Christianity and Judaism going back thousands of years, they're kind of like, Hey, God liked David and he was pretty freaky. So, you know, what, yes. what's the problem exactly? Right. Yeah. He did some crazy shit. So, so there's this, there, there is a, uh, there's a model that people can fit, um, uh, people like Trump into, you know, God just chooses some, some, people who've got issues to do his work and so it's true. you know we got the we got the david story right there you see that that stuff with Bathsheba, man that was bad stuff you know and 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 you know he he still got to write the psalms so there's that but there does seem to be a kind of a a level of cynicism there um because not just being a and this gets into an a, you know interesting question on a few different fronts of it's not just, you know, sort of sexual libertinism. I mean, Trump's a liar and like a cruel person. So, you know, he covers a lot of, he covers a lot of bad person grounds. 
I guess is how well, you Well, and I think to Nicole's it. point as well, you know, with the whole, some people, or there wasn't this wholesale buying of Falwell's endorsement as like Trump is going to be our kind of religious champion type thing. I mean, they still, he tapped Mike Pence, you know, clearly they felt like there was a breach between the candidate and these, you know, super religious constituencies that um, he needed. And that's kind of been the go-to refrain with Pence, you know, is that he, you know, he calms everybody down. He's like, people actually believe that he, you know, goes to church and everything, when I don't think anyone believes that about Trump. But I think there's also, you know, kind of divorced from the, whether or not this endorsement was, you know, kind of pushed Trump's morals over the line is you also just have the political fact that at, you know, at that point in the race, this is before the Iowa caucuses. So things are so squishy and the field of Republicans was gigantic. And like Cruz was going all out on, you know, I'm announcing from Liberty, I'm going to be the religious man candidate. You know, at least that's how he positioned himself at first, that that was the group he was going to have on lock. And then the fact that Falwell kind of screwed him over in that way, you know, it's just like, as we saw in the Democratic primaries this year, the fight to define yourself when the field is like 13 people big is one of the biggest issues at the beginning to get yourself kind of airtime and attention. And, you know, I think Falwell kind of pulled the rug out of Cruz to that point, who was a lot of people's preference, at least kind of coming out of the gate, especially those who the idea of Trump made them a little bit queasy at the beginning. You know, if you, if you look at some of the, the, resp- the, the responses from, from Cruz, from Cruz himself and this guy, was it Rick Taylor? The guy who, you know, one of his uh, spokespeople yeah. or something like that, they were like, the, 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 the responses were intense and angry that you could, you know, not just mm-hmm. like your normal, like, oh, we're so disappointed that, blah. I mean, like a, a palpable sense of betrayal. Yeah. Like, you know, we had a deal and like you just knifed us in the back and how could you do this? And this is this is back when it was orthodoxy among basically every other Republican, you know, Marco Rubio, Ted Cruz, you know, that that not just we don't support Donald Trump, but that he is a a liar and a philanderer and a bad person and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So you could tell it 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 totally caught them off guard and they probably realized it was going to end their campaign. Um, so, uh, I mean, one of the statements that I just read to that degree, they actually, uh, they hinted that you should look into their real estate relationship. Oh, at the time you mean? Yeah. That's what a a cruise spokesman, you know, came out and out and was like, you know, just exactly what you're saying. They were pulling zero punches at that point. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, I, I, I am curious I have not seen, uh, you know, the story is, the story is so sort of, uh, eye popping and, and fast moving, but I have not seen any reporting yet where, you know, anybody from that part of the Republican party or people from the evangelical movement or people from Liberty or kind of anybody saying like, okay, wow this this part of the alliance uh you know it's not all about this but it, it was significantly driven by the fact that one of our big leaders was a swinger him and his wife 
and Donald Trump found out about it and then basically blackmailed him into endorsing Donald Trump. I mean, that is just like, ah, how, you know what I mean? Like, you can't just like, ah, happens once a cycle. But that's strange. I mean, that's really strange. That's really strange. I mean, it would be strange if it were if it were like, oh, you know, blackmailed over uh, you cut some corners in a real estate deal, you know, something kind of fairly, you know, fairly prosaic. This is not prosaic. (laughs) You know, this wouldn't be prosaic in Hollywood, let alone at like Liberty University. So I just I haven't seen any kind of reckoning for that or anybody saying like, wow, that's weird. Mm-hmm. Or like, wow, I maybe kind of, how did we get here? Have you, have either of you seen it? I haven't seen anything like that. No, not yet. But I, you know, I do think this story has, you know, it has legs for all these reasons. You know, it is salacious. It's juicy. It's hypocritical. But one of the biggest, I think, mysteries, you still see pundits kind of like relitigating every day on Twitter is the mystery of Trump's election, which you know, baffled a lot of people, especially on the, you know, coasts. And you've seen constant kind of agonizing over, you know, Hillary didn't go to Wisconsin. It was James Comey. It was blah, 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 blah. I mean, that stuff, it gets relitigated now, four years later. And the idea mm-hmm. that Falwell was extorted into possibly affecting the shape of that election or throwing yeah. Trump on a trajectory that he could win. I mean, that is just... And, you know, people are insatiable for that kind of insight into how we got into this situation. Well, you know, it's it's one of this will sound like a funny analogy, but I but I mean this seriously. I think that Trump's election for a lot of people alive today uh, is has some parallels with the Kennedy assassination. And obviously, for people who support Trump, he's like, well, you know, that's it's a bit different. No one, you know, <laughs> it wasn't a huge tragedy. It was great. But, but what I mean, and obviously for many of us, it was a, it was a tremendous uh, tragedy. But I mean it in this sense. It is a big fork in the road. Big, big fork in the road. Everybody can agree with that. A big fork in the road. A, a shocking development. And for many people, there is this need. How did this happen? And, and so it, it's, the, it's uh, this is a little bit, you know, before your guys' time, but in the way that there were a lot of people in the 60s and 70s for years and years after, you know, still going through the Warren report and saying, well, no, 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 this didn't happen. That, you know, of pouring over, trying to figure out what is the, what's the answer to how this thing ha- could have happened. And I think this is this is your point. Everybody's still kind of like, how did this happen? Was it was it did Hillary mess up? Is it James Comey? Is it Russia? Um, all these different kind of things. And it was kind of all of you know. Was it was it uh, you know was it you know Jerry Falwell and and Giancarlo and all this kind of stuff. And I think the reality is, is that it was, you know, kind of all of these things and not really any of them in, in some ways, but it's more that it's, it's more that obsession that people have because it's such a fork in the road and it seems so inexplicable that there's just this need to make sense of how this happened. Um, and as much as I say, in some ways it was none of those things. 
what makes it so strange, and again, this is why the Kennedy assassination was so irresistible and, and such a drug for so many people in those decades of, of, of American history is that there's a lot of weird stuff happening. A lot of weird stuff. I mean, there was a foreign government working to elect him and his campaign was working with them. I mean, that, that's a big deal. You have the Comey stuff. You have this. I mean, Jesus. And, you know, no, no, no. I know both of you are, are, have, 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 have backgrounds in different streams of Christianity. No offense. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, you know, the, the president and one of his henchmen found out about the sex lives of this key person and blackmailed him blackmailed him wow wow that just you know let alone uh the the what the Falwells are into the fact that the candidate blackmailed someone extorted someone into that that would that would be enough to to like destroy any other presidency that is so Mm mind-boggling and yet it's almost the sort of the third tier part of this story you know, we're kind of like, oh, Jerry, like, you know, <laughs> sitting in the corner. Oh, my God. Uh, 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 you know, all this kind of stuff. When like, wait a second. The president of the United States in the business of collecting secrets on people, leveraging them, put the squeeze on this guy to endorse him for president because him and his wife were into, you know, bringing these these, you know, kind of strapping young guys into the, you know, ah. Ah. I know it like it blows Watergate out of the water and it's third tier. You're right. I mean, yeah. it's not even the, yeah. it's not even the main scandal we think of when we think the 2016 election. Yeah. And again, extortion is a major crime, Right. a major crime. It's a big time felony. Um, it's not just inappropriate. And, uh, you know, yes, the Falwells are hypocrites and whatever. But extortion is a big, big crime. And again, it's almost like it's a third tier part of this one story. Right. So, yeah. anyway. And, and now perhaps is the time to pivot to the current election that yes. we're in the middle of. Um, you know, we're now past Labor Day, which as Josh, you were saying before we went on air is kind of the, you know, the home stretch, the, the really important part, the part where someone is panicking every day about something. And that's, you know, where we are now. I think you've seen a lot of that angst as we kind of touched on last week have been around the polls. You know, we had a lot of, um, you know, pundits and political types kind of, um, guessing that we were going to see the great tightening, you know, I've seen it referred to that, uh, coming off the RNC that Trump would see a boost, you know, that this race would completely change shape, then we've seen it months and months and months. I think we're now far enough out from the convention and we've seen, you know, there's been quite a lot of polls, both, um, you know, high quality on the national and the state level that we've seen almost no movement, you know, maybe at the most, you know, a couple points. Um, and, and that from a high point that if you look, if you look over the course of the last like three or four months, you'd say almost no movement whatsoever that there was a point i think in like late july that that uh that biden was up maybe as much as 10 points and now he's up 
six, seven, eight points. Right. So like, a, you know, but basically it, it, it's remarkable. Like, you know, when you, when you look at, you know, you go to Nate Silver's site and you mm-hmm. look at the sort of the, you know, the long-term trend line, it's remarkable that kind of like, wow, you look back at that little kind of wobbling line. You're like, oh, that's the time when I was up all night worrying that, <laughs> that Trump was going to run away with it. And, and this time and that time, but you look at it over time and it's just like, you know what? Nothing's changed right for like six months. It's yeah. basically been, you know, identical and it's kind of still identical. And people were sort of freaking out yesterday over a couple polls that were, you know, kind of marginally closer in Florida. Mm-hmm. And I guess, you know, Cubans are, you know, uh, uh, Cuban Americans in, in Miami are a little more, a little more favorable to Trump and like, you know, kind of seniors in, in the middle of the state, a little more, fav- you know, kind of obsessing, obsessing, obsessing. And yet pretty much like where we were in June and May. Well, and even kind of the, the weirder trend lines of this, like we discussed briefly last week that Pennsylvania has been polling significantly better for Biden than Wisconsin and Michigan, even though he's up in all three, but it's the difference of like, you know, in Wisconsin, significantly maybe... better for Trump, that, that Trump doing relatively better in Pennsylvania relative to Wisconsin and Michigan. No, I meant the opposite. That Biden's Wait, been no. running away with it in Pennsylvania. Wait, he has? Wait, I thought it was the reverse. I thought I, I think it's I think it's that he's of those three states, historically, Pennsylvania is like the closest to, you know, the, the solid for Democrats, and it's mm-hmm. Wisconsin that is the nail biter, but but Biden is doing seems to be doing significantly better in Wisconsin than he is in, in, oh. in Pennsylvania. Well, I got that mixed up because there's a new poll that came out almost right before we started recording. Oh, that had an NBC I didn't see poll this one. of Pennsylvania okay. that has Biden up by I think nine points. So oh, okay. Well, that that maybe is, an outlier, so that, but right. Well, I think there's you know it's it's it is the one I get. I think in some ways it's more Wisconsin than 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 Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. That Wisconsin. I mean, we know from Scott Walker. That Wisconsin has been a it's been a tough state for right. Democrats in 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 the last few cycles. They they uh, Wisconsin Republicans won three straight uh, gubernatorial you know elections with with Scott Walker, and a lot of us going into this cycle thought like Wisconsin's it, you know, whoever wins Wisconsin's is the next president, and yet Biden has been had a comfortable high single digit lead and it's that pennsylvania has been closer and that's been a mystery to me at least but it sounds like i'm not sure i'm not sure this poll you're describing which i hadn't which i hadn't seen yet kate is that big of an outlier because he's been ahead in every single one it's just it's it's kind of more the pennsylvania um uh pennsylvania uh wisconsin thing but you know for for our for our listeners you know one of the you know you find something new to to be anxious about with the election each day. And my big thing yesterday was that on the one hand, you've got Biden up like seven or eight points nationally. And it's it's going to be awfully tough to win the Electoral College and lose by seven or eight points. That's that's really of course, it's theoretically possible in practice. It's that's not going to happen. And yet and, and then you have a lot of, you know, 
Texas is basically a tie. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Biden is up by a few points in Florida. Um, and you know, Arizona. He's up by Arizona. And yet, and yet, and this is what brings back those bad memories from, you know, 2016, that you've got a lot of states like, could Trump win Florida? Absolutely. You know, he's down by two points. Absolutely could win it. Could he, you know, will he win Texas? Oh, you know. Very, very likely he wins Texas. So you've got a lot of these kind of close states, you know, and then suddenly you're back to like, you know, he wins, right? It's, 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 uh, uh, it's, it's, a, it's, there's a lot of ways to see it as a close run thing and a lot of things to be, you know, angsty about. I gotta, I gotta, you know, as soon as we're, as soon as we're done with this episode, Kate, I gotta log off and check out that, this new well, Pennsylvania poll, make me feel yeah. better. Well, Nicole, I know, like, you know, you've been doing some work helming the breaking news team and you guys have been covering a lot of, um, you know, Biden's campaign events and you have Kamala Harris kind of striking out on her own for the first time. You've got Biden doing more public events. Um, you know, how has that read to you kind of post convention and, and they're, you know, ramping up for this last stretch? You know, have they have you seen any kind of themes that they've been hitting or um any, you know, Trump attacks that they're kind of seeking to, to undercut with this new flurry of activity? Yeah, I mean, so today he's in Michigan um, promoting his plan for um, American-made products. And that's, it's, of course, like, it, not even um, interesting, you know, that he would pick Michigan. That's the best place to have that kind of conversation, obviously. Mm -hmm. And um, the other day, he did a stump speech in, uh, I think it was, I think it was Delaware, um, when he was talking about the economy. But it's kind of interesting because it's, I mean, it's at the point where it's like the meat of a lot of what he's talking about is... Um, less pointed or like less reflective of where he's at um, confidence wise because it's you know he the most striking thing he said the other day we were covering his speech on the economy and um, it was right after Trump the Atlantic story had come out about mm -hmm. Trump um, you know allegedly calling John McCain a loser and fallen American soldiers suckers and um, something Biden said that really stuck with me uh, was he was talking about how he is often told by his campaign team that um, he needs to control his temper or not get you know overly worked up about things related to Trump and he um, he said this is about as close as I as I got to losing it today when he said you know when he saw the Atlantic story if it was true and um, it was very like it was moving and it was about as forceful as I've seen him yet um, and it may just have been because of that specific topic but um, yeah I don't know I, I guess I look at his agenda every day and it's kind of fascinating to see the correlation between what events are being held and what like specific topics are being discussed and mm -hmm. the national conversation that Trump is driving with his various yeah. tweets. I mean it, that event today was interesting to me because the you know, we're holding an event on American-made products seems so, I don't know, it's so funny, so, you know, niche to me even. But, you know, it comes at a time where Trump keeps trying to pin Biden to China. That's been the thing he's been trying recently. You know, the whole, like, 
Um, Biden is really friendly with China, you know, communist by association, essentially. And, you know, I've been reading a lot of the readouts of Mike Pompeo's um, speeches and interviews, and every single stop he ever does, he, you know, when people are like, what's the greatest threat to, to the United States? He's always, always, always says China. So there's kind of this thrust to, um, yeah, I guess paint paint Biden as the one who's kind of, you know, too, too cozy with a, a you know, adversary of the United States. Um, don't they, don't they call him like Beijing Biden? I mean, this really crude, <laughs> awful stuff. Yeah. yeah. The nicknames have been such a spaghetti at the wall thing. Joe Hyden was the recent one. Cause he was, you know, in his basement and actually socially distancing and everything like that. You know, th- this is this is one thing I, I, I worry about a touch that, you know, they've announced that he's going to start, you know, kind of doing more events and getting mm-hmm. out and stuff like that. And I, I really hope they are, they're not getting goaded by the Trump campaign on this because like, I really do not want him to get COVID. I mean, really, really do not want him to get COVID. And the president I'm sure they are. I'm sure the Biden campaign is taking precautions, but the president has the whole infrastructure of instant test. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They really have a strong. I mean, whatever happened at that event on the, uh, uh, you know, at the Rose Garden, they have the ability to really create a bubble around him with kind of 100% testing and stuff like that, and the Biden campaign is not going to be able to match that. So I, I, uh, you know, there was, uh, you know, there was that piece in the new Republic a week or so ago about, Oh, you know, Biden needs to campaign more and stuff like that. You know, yes, he, he needs to be a presence and stuff, but I hope they're not getting rattled by that stuff or, or getting pushed to do it by Trump because we need him to stay healthy. Right. We really need him to stay healthy. Well, and I think the other piece of it is the reason that they've been goading him to come out is because they think it's best for him the more spontaneous he's forced to be, you know, because of his gaffes and... um... No, I, I would say, you know, they've been... Whatever they say... He's, you know, they, they, in some ways, I feel like they've convinced themselves that he's like kind of slobbering and doddering and can barely, you know, can barely walk or something like this. And frankly, he's been great when he's around. And yes, you know, every couple of weeks he'll say something that is like, you know, that sort of like you ain't black or didn't he say he said something a couple of days ago that was, you know, was a big story oh, for like Kenosha an hour and a half. The crowd would shoot him if he didn't get off the stage. Oh, he yeah. And, yeah. And it's one of the. Yeah, and it's one of these things where I think everybody kind of gets like, yes, he just says stuff sometimes that is like, dude, all right, you know, try again with that one. Um, But I think that that generally speaking, I mean, again, when it's compared to Trump, right, (laughs) and he's out there saying these insane things every day. And and that's why, you know, uh, Biden's sort of through this campaign, Biden's superpower is that. I think a great majority of people think he does not have a lot of malice or ill intentions. So when he says something, you're like, oh, cringe. But like, you're like, it doesn't make you like, oh, I think he's a bad guy now. 
or I can't have, right. have him as president. So it just doesn't kind of have that big of, of an effect. Anyway, as you know, again, as I, as I look for things to worry about about the campaign, that's another thing that like I hope I, I hope they're not letting the Trump people um, uh, uh, get in there, you know, get in their heads, make them well, make them do anything dumb. You know, the other side of the coin, which is that he is kind of more prone to gaffes than other candidates are, you know, it's the other side of his authenticity coin. So he also is more likely while working the rope line to have a, you know, an emotional, intimate moment with someone that the campaign can capitalize on. And that kind of showcases that he's very empathetic and very personable and things like that. So there, you know, as much as the Trump campaign wants to make it seem like as soon as he comes out of his house, it's going to go to hell in a handbasket. You know, we haven't even seen that to be the case. But, you know, I'm not super surprised that they're going with that because, like we've been saying, you know, kind of theme of this whole podcast is the polls haven't moved in months significantly. And Biden is ahead. So, you know, as much as kind of the punditry elite, you know, constantly keeps reframing this race as, you know, what Biden has to do right now, it's what Trump has to do. You know, he's an incumbent right. president. They hardly ever lose. Which is like, and stop losing. losing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he's been losing yeah. for months. So, well, you know, this is on the point, this is on the point you just mentioned about, you know, them doing an event about American made products Mm -hmm. and stuff. And again, in Biden's defense, he's been on this for decades, right? This Mm -hmm. is not like some new thing, but, um, what I, what I do note is that, uh, you, you see the Trump campaign, you know, pushing them, you gotta, you gotta denounce rioting. You gotta, you know, this about China and you see that you see the Biden people are to some degree being reactive, which mm-hmm. does worry me a bit. Kind of like he goes out and he says, hey, rioting sucks. You can't riot. No more rioting. Okay. You know, check that box. Not that he hadn't said that a million times in different, right. you know, in, in different contexts, but now uh, American made goods. And so I, part of me worries a bit about, you know, kind of, you got to define the, you got to take the initiative here. You got to define the, define the terrain. On the other hand, to your point, Trump's losing and losing badly at the moment. And so there's a certain logic of just, we're just going to kind of sit here and keep winning. And when he kind of comes after me, we're going to go out and say, nope, don't like rioting. Sorry. You know, American made goods. I like American made goods, you know, kind of push, but push back on that. So there's a certain argument for reactiveness when you're winning and winning by a lot. Right. Right. Um, so, you know, we'll see, but there's, there is a, a logic to that. And, and, uh, you know, they're raising a lot of money. They're, you know, the kind of the polls show what they show. So, you know, I guess for looking to, uh, you know, for them, it's so far so good, you know, don't, don't, don't try to fix it if it's not broken. Yeah. I mean, when kind of the underlying theme of your campaign is positioning yourself as the harmless if boring foil to trump's chaos then be boring you know that's what you're selling that's what people according to the polls seem to want right now you know a president you know the classic the president you don't have to think about every day thing so you know just because trump wants biden in the headlines every day i don't think biden necessarily wants to yeah again and what it really you know what it really comes down to is when you are winning you you just want to keep winning Right. There's nothing that needs to be fixed. Just yeah. keep winning. So, you know, we shall see. Then in our, you know, in our last few minutes, um, we could spare some attention for Trump's pretty 
dismal week in military relations, you know, kind of a hit after hit after hit. The week started with a Military Times poll that showed Trump uh, down with active sold, uh, active troops, um, whereas, you know, about a month after this, last time, he was up by Clinton by like 20 points or something. So it was a pretty, you know, that was a pretty radical shift. One poll, but that kind of started setting the tone for the week. Um, and then you had that Atlantic article that Nicole mentioned earlier come out with just, you know, bombshell after bombshell of Trump not wanting to waste time at a cemetery because those soldiers who died were losers and suckers and, you know, kind of an extended section on his hatred of John McCain, which all stemmed out from this disdain that McCain was shot down because that shows that he's, you know, not that he's a loser. He's not good at his job. And, um, you know, Trump being very opposed to having the, the flags at half, uh, half mast and everything like that. And then kind of that week was rounded out with um, the news that Stars and Stripes, which is a um, newspaper about military news that has been kind of intermittently published since the Civil War, solidly published since World War II. That's kind of its big thing is that it's delivered to soldiers, you know, all over the world. So it can be a really important lifeline, especially to people who are stationed in remote areas where news is, you know, harder to come by. Uh, we found out that the Pentagon was planning on slashing its funding, dissolving it in a year, and that kind of created another upcry, uh, outcry. So then you had this whole week of, you know, Trump, I love the troops, candidacy kind of taking on some, some pretty significant water. Um, so, it, yeah. It was, it, it was striking to me that, you know, often Trump is very reactive, but I've seldom see him, seen him react as aggressively or as defensively as he as he did to that Atlantic article mm -hmm. you know like whatever you want me to swear on I'll swear on it swear on it right now it didn't happen absolutely you know kind of no 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 and then over the but in the last couple days he's been in this thing of just directly attacking the Pentagon of just they suck and they don't like me because I don't like having constant wars. And then you have the army chief of staff kind of without naming him, attacking him back. And it, it, that, that illustrates one of the signature things about Trump, that as much as he does have this kind of deep street fighting canniness, that he is also just undisciplined and impulsive and... Uh, lacks emotional control because the answer to this is not attacking the pentagon you know kind of uh, not the the troops but the bra you know kind of move on but he can't because he's at some level he realizes that this is sort of top generals you know ratting him out right. um and he and he's just mad um curious to see how it's such a funny thing because i do think one of the most deleterious aspects of our public life in the last 25, 30 years is the extreme valorization of military service. We're kind of like anybody who's, you know, thank you for your service. Now it's like first responders, thank you for your service. There is this, there's this weird kind of thing where do, does the armed service, 
exist for the country or does the country exist for the military? You know, this, this kind of, and it, that has to do with the fact that we have had these, these uh, constant wars for a few decades. Uh, I think a, a mix of politicization, but also insecurity about the fact that most of us realize that only a tiny se- section of the population basically populates the armed forces and, 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 and carries that. Um, but the striking thing about this with Trump is that there's something very specific that is the through line through all of this for Trump, which is that the concept of sacrifice is doesn't make sense to him. Now, many of us are not capable of sacrifice, and sacrifice is, is valorous because it's hard, right? You're putting yourself, you know, you're not putting yourself first, but most of us can at least understand the concept of, of why it's valorized to not put yourself first, to say, I will give up my life for the life of the community, for the life of the country. And that's something that I think people understand, whether or not you agree with any of the wars or anything like that, just that, that, that basic concept. But that clearly to Trump, you know, that's like if you, if you and a bunch of other people invested in something and you just to say, okay, I'll give my profits to you guys. It's inexplicable. You are a loser. Like you, you, you gave up everything. Um, and that is something so basic and it's so, and it's so central to Trump. The idea that kind of like you gave up everything when, when to him, it's all about what's in it for you. And, and, and it, and it exposes something that is so rotten and broken about him that I'm really curious. And again, it goes way beyond valorization of military service. It's something very, just, just basic about him. So I'm curious to see whether or not that is going to, you know, have an impact Mm -hmm. beyond just a kind of a week long story that it just, it, it puts something, certainly not something new about him. I mean, we know he's a narcissist and, and deeply selfish and self-centered and that's, that's his brand in a way. But again, just brings it out in a, in a raw and, um, impossible to ignore way that I wonder if it breaks through at some, right. you know, at some other level. Well, I think as we kind of saw, even from the, the email nonsense with Hillary Clinton, you know, that ended up being, having almost no content, you know, and of course, a big part of it was pushed by the campaign, you know, the media's willingness to buy into it as an illegitimate line of attack. But I do think part of the reason that it kind of stuck is because it played into people's fears that they already had about Clinton, that she's, you know, uh, sneaky or calculated and not open and secretive. And I think that the we've seen the best political attacks stick because they feed into something people already believe or already fear. And I think with Trump, people don't have trouble taking this story at face value, don't have trouble believing that Trump said those things or that the idea of sacrifice is befuddling to him or that he would stand on the grave of John Kelly's son, you know, and say, what was in it for him? You know, I don't, I just, I don't think unless you've kind of reached a point of like the, you know, QAnon Trump adulation, I don't think it's hard for you to believe 
that these things are true. And that is why I think that story was so damning and why you saw the White House wa a rapid response like we've never seen it. You know, every single Trump surrogate was like, this is insane. You know, look at the look at what the weather was to that day. He was never going to go to the, you know, <laughs> you just got to see them pulling out all the stops in a way that they usually we have like three to four Trump outrages every few days and this kind of communications, right. Every and this day. communication yeah, apparatus yeah, yeah. generally glosses over them, you know, doesn't answer reporters emails or kind of like angles the conversation away. Cause you can't possibly keep up with everything he does, but kind of the verve of that response to me made me think that they thought this was damaging. Like most things that he says are not, you know, and I think part of that is because it's, it strikes that perfect spot where it is angering, you know, and outrageous and, you know, hurtful to people who have loved ones in the military and also completely believable, you know, so as much, you know, Trump's team can kind of go on about anonymous sources as much as they want. But I think to your kind of more normal person, you just look at the body of things Trump has said and you're like, yeah, this this isn't outside the norm at all. So. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's funny when, and, and I would have said the same thing, Nicole, but I was struck at the beginning when you were, when we were introducing this to Cole, you said that some of the things he allegedly said about John McCain, but of course we heard him say those things about John McCain. We, it was on camera. So, so, and that I think is part of what informs, informs this story that Trump has said things very like this on camera again and again, kind of like if you, you know, if you're shot down, that's not heroic. You blew it, right? So, so he 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 has said things that are very similar to this, where it it becomes almost hard to keep him straight. Which are the things that's that we're saying he allegedly said? Because you know, kind of like uh, blind sources versus the thing that we actually saw on camera repeatedly, right. right? And that whole idea, kind of, what's in it for you? You know, because again, if you don't, if you don't. If your role in the community, in the country, in public life is all about what's in it for you, if that is your whole, your whole horizon, then getting killed in a war really is the ultimate failure. You blew it. You know, mm -hmm. it's about what's in it for you and you died. Nothing. You're done. You lost everything. And so if that is the prism you see things in, which we know that's the prism that he sees things in, then thinking that way makes sense. And that is why I think it's so believable, because we know he thinks that way. And I think even his supporters know he thinks that way. But this just kind of brings it to the center in a way that is a little, a little too direct, a little too mm -hmm. tough. So anyway... Um, we are about to the end of our time. So, uh, Nicole, thank you for, for, for joining us and, and, you know, a particularly, uh, evangelically <laughs> adjacent relevant, uh, yeah, episode of the show. Me. Everybody remember that, uh, the Josh Marshall podcast is brought to you by Grady's cold brew ice coffee from now until election day. You can get 25% off on any purchase, unlimited purchases at Grady'sColdBrew.com. So go check it out if you haven't had it before or if you're just your stocks are running low and you need to get some more, uh, go order now. And uh, we will talk to you next week. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Later. <laughs>